You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? You know, it was weird. I had it in my head during the day. I was like thinking that there that I was going to have a Bucks game to watch tonight. And then like a couple times during the day, I had to remind myself that no, the Bucks actually are having an off day, uh, a rare off day of late. Um, so yeah. That's good for aching bodies to have an extra day to recover ahead of Thursday night's game with uh, the Indiana Pacers at the Pfizer Forum. At sorry, at Pfizer Forum, not the Pfizer Forum. Watch yourself. Watch myself. Um, but uh, you know, excited to do a mailbag. Feels like it's been a little while. We got a, a ton of questions, and um, I don't know. What do you think? Should we just, why don't we just dive in? Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to go about it. Uh, the only thing I'm thinking about right now is watching the Bulls. Uh, Trying to beat the Sixers, which is just a you know a strange thing to say. Obviously, the Bucks struggled against them a little bit the other night, but uh, it, it'd be kind of funny to watch Zach Levine and, and the gang take them down. But we'll see if that occurs by the time we end this podcast. We're recording at about nine twenty-five here on Wednesday night, um, so we got a ton of questions. And as always, as I always like to say, you guys are incredible. I can't believe that you guys give us this many questions. Um, it's it always blows my mind. So shout out to all of you. That is, that is awesome. Uh, I think Frank had a couple emails as well. Um, and we only sent out one tweet from the lockdown bucks account, like nothing more than that. And you guys still managed a way to find it and get all of those into our inbox. So shout out to all of you. I, in, um, I intentionally, gonna... I intentionally did not retweet it just because I, I kind of wanted to keep it a little, more I, I, I wanted, <laughs> somewhat manageable i wanted less work uh putting together the google doc because basically this is what i do for a little inside locked on bucks here uh typically when we do this eric does all the work related to this podcast he does all the editing uh you know he does all the posting all that work he does that and the only work i ever do is i will basically take all the questions um for us that you that you send us via tweet, twitter and email and i paste them in a google doc for us and i or try to organize them a little bit that's my one contribution to lockdown bucks from a bureaucratic administrative standpoint so um we've got our list here eric um so i i think hopefully we can uh we can knock out a lot of these but again there are there were too many for us to get through in one in one setting so um thanks for to everybody and if we didn't get it to uh, apologies we'll we'll maybe try to go through twitter and see if we can answer some just via via twitter as well all right so we're going to start with playoff stuff because you know i feel like in the season the bucks have their best record in decades that you know we should focus on all of that and i think there's a couple of questions that we got we try to group them together. Uh, we got one from Andrew that said, what playoff seeding scenarios should we be rooting for as Bucks fans? And what do you believe are the most likely? And, uh, 
we also got a question from Spags uh, at SpagCore on Twitter. Andrew was at Trump one at Andrew Trump one. Uh, so shout out to you, Andrew and you Spags uh, for these questions. Spags asks, how concerned are, are you about facing? Uh, I can't believe you used the stupid Celtics hashtag it's because of me. He uh, was trolling me. I can only assume he was trolling. me. <laughs> uh, CS rise in the playoffs. Uh, so I think we're going to fold it. That, that's, that's the Celtics hashtag to be clear. It's C, the letter C, the letter C, us rise and you guys may remember from the playoffs last year when they played the bucks they had those shirts that had like a big c and then us and rise in smaller letters kind of going to the right cuts and it Christ, like cr- cuts uh, christ it looks like cuse like something yeah it just it just whatever it was it did not look like um it was supposed to be a <laughs> uh a, a something celtics related and so i i tweeted yesterday that um, their their CS Rise hashtag is an underrated reason for hating them as a franchise. Many reasons to hate the Boston Celtics as a franchise. Uh, their hashtag, yet another one. So shout out to uh, Boston Celtics marketing people. Um, so I guess how we're going to kind of handle that one is uh, looking at that. I'm going to ask it this way. Is there any favorable way for the bracket to fall for the Bucks, Frank? Like uh, I know we've talked in the past about oh, it would be kind of funny to see the Pacers hold on to the three seed and then you know see the Sixers and Celtics have to take each other out in the four or five game. But from a Bucks perspective, that just means that you know you have to play the Celtics or the Sixers in the second round. Not that there's many scenarios that you can kind of invent and create where you're going to avoid them, um, but no matter what, you're still getting one of those teams. So uh, I feel like the only way it could be favorable is if the Pacers fell to four and then won uh, as the four seed beating the Sixers or the Celtics. And then you get the Pacers in the second round instead of the Sixers or Celtics. But even that, I don't, I don't know how helpful it would, would even be. Do you think there is a favorable way for the bracket to fall for the Bucks? No, I, I think I think that's right. I mean, I think basically, and, and it's kind of funny, right? Because like, we were talking before the podcast. I mean, I mean, if if the if the Pacers beat one of those teams, then you know, there's sort of like the self fulfilling prophecy aspect of this that well, the Pacers are good and they've continued to be good, and those teams have continued to be pretty disappointing. So. I mean, if the Pacers beat those teams, like I don't, I don't think it's just going to be like luck, right? It's going to be because they ended up just being better at the, you know, at this time of year, and um, so I don't think you have a, a walkover in the second round against the Pacers. But yeah, I mean, all things being equal, the ceiling of the Sixers, the ceiling of the Celtics, scares me more than the ceiling of the Indiana Pacers. So, um, so I agree. I would certainly, you know, much rather have the Pacers drop. Um, I think I would, you know, I think, I think you, you're right. Like you'd want them to drop to four so that they would have home court against the five seed, which, you know, uh, had, had been looking like it was going to be Boston, but I mean, who knows, right? Like, you know, the Celtics randomly beat the Warriors last night. So, um, you know, go figure, right? Like typical Celtics, like they play like crap and then they have a win that's really impressive. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think that's probably the, the scenario that, that I'd lay out. Um, I would say in general, the, the team that scares me the most is is still Toronto. Probably, I think I think they have, you know, it, it's it's been interesting. I mean, like, there's a team that's only a couple losses behind the Bucks in the standings, and Kawhi has like rested like you know once a week. It seems like all year long. It, you know, Lowry's been hurt at times. It doesn't seem like the sort of like Kawhi centric offense has really 
sort of been like, I don't know, it just seems like they have sort of two versions of their offense and I'm not the only person ever to, to point this out, but, um, but it just seems like, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like they've really kind of figured everything out there. And obviously they added Marcus all who's, you know, obviously a really talented guy. So I, I don't know. It just seems like the Raptors could find another, another level. Um, I think you could make that same argument with, with the Celtics, certainly Celtics, certainly given where they are now um, and, and the Sixers as well. Um, but I don't know. I mean, just the, 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 the higher level of competence, competency that we've seen from the Raptors this season versus those other two teams. I mean, I thought the Raptors were, you know, probably the team that I thought was the best team or had the highest ceiling um, coming into the year, just because they were awesome last year. And then they replaced DeMar DeRozan with Kawhi Leonard. So that seems like a good, a good recipe. Um, but by the same token, I mean, they've, uh, you know, our friend Ben Thompson pointed out that, I mean, this year's Raptors are actually like, you know, point differential wise, you know, offensive, defensive rating wise. I mean, they're, they're definitely worse than they were last year just by, by those numbers. So um, I, I don't know. They're, they're a team that, you know, you don't talk about as much in terms of you know, disappointment because, I mean, they have a great record. Right? I mean, it's like they're, they, yeah. they still have a, definitely a shot to, to, you know, nip the bucks for the top seed in the East. Um, and Philly and, and the Celtics have been kind of the poster children of, of Eastern disappointment. But, um, you know, I think they still have another level to go. Uh, so I'd say they still sort of scare me a bit more than uh, than Boston or Philly. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, what, what do you think? Like if you had to rank those teams in terms of who you would, you know, most and least likely least like to play uh whether it's the second round or the or these finals like how would you kind of break it down at this point yeah i think i mean i i kind of keep finding myself coming back to two players and it's al horford i think that's the the big that i fear most and i mean i don't know if that goes against what most people would think i Embiid is probably who most people would fear i guess mm-hmm. um but to me, I, I just think Brooke Lopez is huge. So it's like Embiid will will still get his. He's insanely talented, uh, but he's going to have to work through it. He's going to have to work through Brooke Lopez all the time, and that's just going to be a chore for him. And then he doesn't – I don't truly fear him in the pick-and-pop game because I don't think – oh, actually, I don't think – He's not a good shooter. I know he's not a good shooter because that's what the numbers tell me, that he is not a good shooter. Um, so, like, the pick-and-pop stuff with him doesn't, you know, scare me as much. And then, like, obviously, Serge Ibaka isn't as good as Al Horford. And, you know, like, I just think – and, again, maybe this has something to do with last year, but I just kind of fear Al Horford because I think he's the type of guy that could give Brooks some problems. And, uh, you know, when Giannis went on him last year, he was able to put Giannis in the post and Giannis is a year stronger and obviously put some more pounds on. So he might be able to handle a little bit better this year, but you know, I think Al Horford's the pick and pop big that scares me most in the East. And then I, I think the, the guard or wing that I'm most fearful of is Kyrie Irving. And it, that's largely just because, you know, when he gets in the playoffs, I think his ISO scoring is is legitimately a game changer. Like, I just think he's so good in those situations that it can just be really tough on you, and it's going to be incredibly difficult to get it done against him. So, um, like, and again, maybe that's a little bit irrational. Uh, you know, maybe he isn't quite that player, but he's just come through in those moments before and had big games that. Those are to me. That's the that's the pick and pop big that scares me the most, and then you know the guard that scares me the most. So 
to me, that makes the Celtics the most fearful. Um, and again, that they might be the five seed and they might be a total train wreck and they might get bounced in the first round. Like all of those things could happen. But you know, when I think about the teams that I fear most, like that's, that's the one that keeps coming up. And again, you know, maybe some of that is rational or irrational and maybe that's me too focused on some of the matchups or, or whatever it may be, but that's the name or I guess the team that I keep coming back to. Um, and, you know, when you when you go through those other teams, like like I said, Serge Ibaka isn't quite as scary. I don't know if uh, Kyle Lowry and some of his playoff performances in the past make you totally terrified uh, of what he can and can't do. And then with Kawhi, I don't know if there's necessarily a Kawhi stopper, but I feel like the biggest thing with Kawhi is not giving up those, I don't want to say, those easy-ish looks where he just like bullies you. And he just goes through your chest and he lays it up and in, or he hits a little floater. Like you want to turn him into a step back jump shooter, which he's gotten good at. Um, but you want him to take those jump shots. And the Bucks happen to have a guy in six eight, Chris Middleton, that, you know, can handle that and can really make him work for stuff. And that just makes, you know, them a little bit less fearful. So the Celtics are the team that I keep coming back to. Yeah, I mean the thing about the Celtics to me is like we saw kind of like, I mean, the, the Celtics last year, even without um, without Kyrie, that was like kind of like almost like the best version of the Celtics we've seen in a long time. Um, mm-hmm. And they couldn't beat the Bucks at home and the Bucks would have home court against them. And, you know, I, I think as much as Horford, I think, presents problems, um, you know, they they don't have a they don't have a Giannis stopper. I mean, nobody has a Giannis stopper, but like. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, I, I'm I don't really, um, I don't worry that much about like who they can throw at Giannis, especially given that they they don't really seem to have figured out a way to slow Giannis down. It seems like they just kind of more try to slow down everybody else. Um, and I, I think with Philly, Philly, I've kind of liked the idea of the way the Bucks match up with them all year, just because. Um, you know, MB takes advantage of just the fact that he's enormous and can bully most guys. And um, with Brooke, you have uh, a guy who, again, is not going to like shut down Brooke, uh, Joel, but he's able to, I think, hold his ground, keep him honest, at least uh, on the offensive end. And, you know, like we've said, if if Brooke not covering him as well on the perimeter means that Embiid settles for a lot of three pointers, you know, great. Like much rather have him trying to shoot from out there where he's, you know, 30% or wherever he is, than uh, attacking from the from the mid post. And the flip side, obviously, as well, Embiid's, you know, dominance as a rim protector is, you know, largely muted by the fact that he would have to cover Brooke Lopez. And so I think any series where, you know, Brooke Lopez is able to really kind of take the other team out of kind of what they ideally like to do and where you're not going to have to worry about, can we play Brooke Lopez? Um, I think that's a really interesting, you know, potentially advantageous matchup for the Bucks. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I think, I think there's, there's definitely um, something interesting there. And also just, you know, at the point guard spot, you know, who guards Eric Bledsoe um, on the Sixers, I think is an interesting question because yeah. JJ Redick is the only starter who's small and, you know, I think Reddick's, I think Reddick's historically been underrated as a defender. Um, but I think that by the same token, um, he's also a guy that, uh, um, you know, he's just small and not particularly strong. And, you know, Eric Bledsoe is, is going to 
do things against JJ Redick if you try to guard him with him. And um, so, you know, what do you do then? Do you put Jimmy Butler on him? Um, do you put, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, what, what, the, the, it gets kind of weird after that, right? Because, I mean, you've got basically Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, and Tobias Harris you can put on him. Um, I don't know. Maybe they put Simmons on him. But, you know, if you use Simmons or um, or Butler on him, then that means that you've got, you know, a good defender that you're not putting on Chris Middleton or Giannis, right? So I think that there's just some some interesting matchups that I think work in the Bucks' favor if, uh, if you see a situation like that. And, um, you know, again, I think the Celtics, I think, are just going to be interesting to watch. Um, you know, it's kind of funny because people are just like, oh, they're so talented. Like, they're too talented. To blah, blah. And it's like, I mean, they everybody agrees they don't have the, like, single, like, superstar that the Bucks, Raptors, or Sixers have. So, like, it's not the, like, top-tier talent guy that makes them so talented. It's, you know, the, like, depth thing. And... I don't know. Like I, I feel like people always like. It's like you always hear people kind of say like, "Well, depth is overrated in the playoffs," but like it seems like people give the Celtics lots of credit for their depth. And <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like they barely beat you know the Bucks last year when obviously the Bucks were a big underachieving team. And you know, I think Philly. I don't know what happened to Philly. They were obviously really disappointing. And then you know the the Cavs were a really bad final team that got to the finals. I mean, like they got to the finals just by like LeBron dragging them. So, um, you know, being able to take, take them to the wire, like, you know, I mean, credit to the Celtics for sure. I mean, you get to game seven of the East finals without, you know, Kyrie or, or Gordon Hayward, which, you know, is probably less of a thing that people care about given Hayward has had some good games of late, but obviously he's, you know, still a ways from being what, what they want him to be. But, um, I don't know. So I think there's arguments for all of them. Um, but I think Toronto, I think, still probably scares me a little bit. You know, Siakam, we've seen the Bucks really struggle to contain, um, especially, uh, you know, given given Bud's uh, proclivity for playing her son. <laughs> um, so I think I think we'll have more on that later. Yeah. So anyway, we've already spent way too much time on, on this question. So I say, well, let's keep, keep it moving to the, through the bag. That is what we do, Frank. That is exactly what we do. Um, okay, I'm trying to think. Uh, let's go to uh, rotation stuff. Uh, we'll try to keep it on this team before we go to offseason stuff. Um, let's see. Milena Bill, Mike Genre, at Mike Genre. Milena Bill was at Not Fat Bill. Um, Trevor Bender, at Bender underscore Trevor. And... Yeah, I think that's that. Um, I'll ask some some version of the question, why on earth is DJ Wilson not playing and Ersan is playing over him? Um, Frank, I don't know if you even need to answer this one. I might be able to handle it for both of us. Bud really likes Ersan. And Bud really trusts his veterans. And for those reasons, he is playing Ersan. Now, um, he has talked about how much he likes DJ in the past. He has talked about uh, how much he's liked DJ's defensive versatility. That is something that um, I would think he would uh, play some value in and find a way to use that as a weapon he needs throughout the playoffs. But that has not been the case for you know the last month or so. So that's about all I got on that one. Maybe do you have anything else to add? No, I I mean I I don't have a good answer. Um, and 
Um, I mean, to Ursan's credit, he's shooting well of late. Um, you know, I think he hasn't had, he's definitely looked a lot better than he did uh, in that stretch where he literally just couldn't make a shot for like two weeks or whatever it was. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, my, I mean, this is kind of my biggest concern kind of rotation wise is I am legitimately worried that, you know, the Bucks face some team that has, you know, athletic guys in the front line and, uh, and they just can't, can't easily contain, contain them. And they keep going to Ursan and obviously you're going to play Meritich and, um, those two guys just, you know, you just hemorrhage points. Um, and so that's, that's something I, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't know what, what Bud would need to see, um, to, uh, to, to move away from Ursan. I think we saw during his slump, we saw him, you know, get played like in the first half and then he would get benched for the second half pretty regularly. Yep. Um, but that has kind of, that has stopped as he's started to shoot better. So, uh, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if there's an obvious answer there. All right. Uh, um, other ro- rotation question comes from Jesse McNamara, uh, at Jesse J McNamara. Um, if the playoffs started today, who'd be in the rotation? And, um, you know, I think it's an interesting question. I think it probably changes somewhat based on personnel for whoever you're playing in whatever respective series you'll be playing in. Um, but you know, I think you, you probably start, you probably start with 40 minutes for, uh, oh, I almost said 40 minutes for Ersan, which may be, no, I'm just joking. Uh, 40 minutes for Giannis, uh, probably. Do you, do you think 30... he'll, do you, do you think he would actually play? I think there'll be, there would be likely games where he hits 40 minutes, but like, I don't feel like on average, Giannis is going to play 40 minutes in the playoffs. Is that weird? Like, I think it is weird. Um, I mean, maybe he would, man, that's weird to think. Um, I mean, like Al Horford, he had up to 39 minutes a game per game in the playoffs when they went to the Eastern conference. I mean, he averaged Giannis effort for Uh, reference. Giannis averaged exactly 40 minutes per game last year in the playoffs and he averaged 40.5 minutes per game the year before that. So he was basically at exactly 40 minutes per game under Jason Kidd. Um, and so that's like partly why I'm just like, well, if Kidd only only played him 40 minutes per <laughs> game in the playoffs, then like, you know, and, and part of that obviously yeah. is, and part of that is obviously because like, you know, some games are, it's not like every game is a, goes to the final possession, right? So um so that that obviously impacts it, you know. If if every if you, every game goes down to the final possession, then yeah, I mean, I would say Giannis is probably playing forty plus minutes. But um, but obviously, there's also games in there that you know you win by fifteen or, or twenty or whatever that that drag it down a little bit. Yeah, you know, maybe he won't. So thirty eight okay. somewhere in there, I guess. Uh, for Giannis, then I think probably like thirty four or so for Middleton and thirty two or so for Bledsoe. Um, I would guess Brogdon probably in that same 32 range or so. Um, I mean, I think you'd hope George Hill is healthy by that point. So he can sop up probably 20 minutes or so. Is that too high for George Hill? Well, he was playing more than that. I mean, I don't know. I guess like the question is how much does his, I mean, I guess you're, you're making the trade off of more minutes for starters, fewer minutes for, for bench yeah. guys. But I don't know. I honestly don't know how much that, is it would even happen? Like, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I think it's a good question. Cause I think the other dynamic is you just cut guys out. Right. So is Bledsoe and, you know, Middleton and these guys getting, you know, a few more minutes. Is that effectively happening because you're only playing eight guys or nine guys rather than 
10 yeah. guys, you know? Um, so I, I think that it's going to be, I think it's an interesting question to ask. I mean, again, I think the benefit is, you know, you can try to stretch out your, your best players longer. Um, but, you know, by the same token, I think it's also a challenge, right? I mean, if, if Giannis has been used to playing 33 minutes per game all year, um, you know, it, it, it's an adjustment to suddenly tell him to get, he's going to have to play 43 tonight or something like that. Right. So, yeah. um, so I think that's also something to keep in mind. Like you have to, you can't just expect it to, you know, him to just maintain, you know, his usual crazy productivity when he's playing an extra 10 minutes either. So, you know, there's an argument, I mean, maybe not with Giannis cause Giannis is, you know, tired Giannis is better than, you know, any any potential guy you could put in to replace him for those minutes yep. but um but with some of the other guys you know they're, they're you know like blood cell for instance like i don't know if you'd want to play blood cell when he you know 40 minutes when he's you know only playing no, I don't think so. 30 or fewer yeah. right and, and obviously i'm not saying that you're, you're obviously not saying that they would do that but um but yeah i think it's an interesting question but again i i would say historically yeah i mean we've you know we've seen that's what you tend to see like your best players play more in the playoffs you know you're not playing back-to-backs uh and you can afford to you know trim down the rotations a little bit so um so yeah uh well i don't know keep going i mean i think i think the most interesting question is like would bud actually go to like you know i i feel like i i'm i'm gonna guess it's probably a nine-man rotation um but uh i don't know keep keep doing your numbers if uh if if you want um, I mean, I think by then Sterling would be back and probably taking up some minutes. So I'm trying to think if how many I need. He probably has like 15, and then I'm moving over to Bigs. So like Mirtich, ah, man, I guess I didn't say Brook Lopez yet. 25 for Brook Lopez? Like, uh, d- does he go up or down in the playoffs? That, I think that's an interesting question and kind of changes, uh, you know, how the Bucks will play things is, you know, how much you're going to play Brook Lopez uh, in the playoffs. And, you know, I mean, I think in certain matchups, it'll be, it'll be, uh, you know, if, he, if against Embiid, he's going to have to be in there quite a bit because you're going to want to make Embiid work and, you know, against Serge Ibaka, maybe he doesn't play that much, but if they play Marcus Gasol a bunch, they'll have to be in there for Marcus Gasol. So I don't know uh, that I think the bigs get interesting there. I'm not sure how you Brook Lopez averages 28 a game right now. Um, so I don't know if it's like 28 for him, 20 for Mirtich, and then, Ursan cleans up the rest of that, and then you have your your nine man or no your eight man rotation, and then you have like a floater in Tony Snell in Pau Gasol. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think um my my thought was uh, I mean, and you know we can obviously try to do the math on it, but I think um I would assume Hill is the obvious guy. I mean, I think Hill's a guy who doesn't you know he's like in that category if he wouldn't lose his spot due to injury and another guy coming in and it's not like anybody is <laughs> you know they don't have a backup a, a third point guard to yeah. steal his minutes so um so his spot is probably the safest um uh, well, along with Miritich just because I mean Miritich is the best player on the bench so yeah I mean I think you know you can you can probably guess that that those guys I would say I would still like pencil hill in for maybe like 25 minutes per game or something like that um I think it's interesting I was actually going to ask about Sterling Brown. Um, Sterling hadn't been great and they've really not been good with Sterling on the floor for a little while now. Like um, 
I don't know, even after this, his slow start, there was a little bit of a mirage that his plus minus numbers were so bad because he was basically just a garbage time guy. But um, I think I was looking at it recently, like, I think he, for, for a while before his injury, he was like by far the worst kind of net rating guy on the team, which again, like, you know, I think he was even negative and everybody else was positive. So it was just kind of like, uh, what, what's going on there, right? Um, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm With Sterling, I mean, on one hand, like, I think he kind of has that like playoff, you know, sort of like attitude and lunch pail guy. He's obviously been a great corner three shooter this year. Um, so hopefully he gets his wrist right soon and, and, you know, can win back some, some minutes. Um, but I think it's an interesting question of like, you know, does, you know, Sterling, I think very easily be the guy that, you know, basically loses a spot. And then, you know, Tony Snell would probably be the obvious guy. You know, I would say Hill, Snell, uh, Nico and Urson would be the four guys off the bench. Um, and I would hope that Urson would be the guy who kind of, you know, sees his minutes ramp down the most. Um, and again, you don't have to convince me that DJ is a better option there because he certainly is, especially <laughs> now that you have Miritich yeah. sort of fulfilling the, you know, Eastern European white, white guy skill, not great feet moving player person. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think that's probably my guess, but I think, and, and I don't know, but, but like, you know, could Snell lose minutes to like Pat Connaughton? Maybe, I don't know. Like, like could like, Snell, Connaughton, and Brown have all kind of, you know, Snell's been the most consistent guy rotation-wise, and you know he hasn't really been hurt. Um, Connaughton obviously kind of, kind of forces way into the rotation, and then hasn't really shot at all this season, and you know then lost it to Sterling, and then Sterling's gotten hurt, and now we've seen Pat kind of be the like go-to. All right, we have somebody, you know, we're short on guards, and we need somebody to defend high pick and rolls off the bench, and he's kind of like the guy. Um, so I don't know. It's an interesting question, but I, I think you can argue that well, that role will go to George Hill when um, when when Hill is healthy. So um, so yeah, probably Snell, Hill, Snell, Nico, and Urson. Probably my my four guys off the bench. And um, obviously, you hope you win a bunch of blowouts, so you can <laughs> throw more guys in there and you know rest your starters a little bit and and not have to stretch stretch minutes out too long. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, I mean, George Hill, Tony Snell, Urson, and Nico. I mean that. I feel pretty good about that. Um, all right. I'm just trying to take a quick run through any of the questions that don't talk about this summer. Because Wait, one, one question. Kind of... one, one question. When we were talking about playoff matchups, we completely ignored that the Bucks would have to play someone in the first round. Um, so I wanted to... Yeah, I'm okay with that. Well, let, let me ask you. So is there any team that you would... No, nope. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't want to, I don't no. want to play the magic. And like they, they, I don't something about the magic I don't like. And not I know realize they beat the Bucks without Giannis, so it's a little weird. Do you but. think they're actually magicians? Like, is that the concern you no, have? There's just something about them's annoying. Something about them is annoying. <laughs> DJ Augustine is the greatest point guard um, in the my guy. Yeah, so I'm surprised you're not you're not afraid of that. You just want a chance to watch DJ Augustine up close. In his in all his majesty. I mean, I think the the team that's probably scariest in in the I don't know are, are the Nets out of a spot range. Like, is that something that we think? Like, you know, the Nets put up a bunch of threes. It could be high yeah. variance. You know, they could they could steal a couple. Um, so I think that would be a team that you know you probably don't want to play, but you know they might play well enough that they 
kind of get themselves out of the Bucks' range. The Heat always defend Giannis well, but I just don't think they're they're very good. They don't have enough. Like, yeah. There's no way they're going to do it for a full playoff series. Like the Bucks will will beat them. The Magic, the Hornets, the Wizards. Like eh. I don't I don't think you have yeah. to worry about any of them. The Pistons and Nets are both playing pretty well. The Pistons are playing a lot better as of late, but I don't think any of those teams are, are really all that fearful for the Bucks. Yeah. The um, Jacob Goldstein's um, playoff like odds uh, seeding distribution probabilities has Detroit uh, for the eight seed now. Assuming the Bucks obviously finish first, they're uh, as of two days ago they were eighty nine percent likely to finish first. So maybe, well, maybe not that much lower because Toronto also lost to the Rockets. Shout out to the Rockets. Good good day in the Madden household when the Rockets <laughs> beat the Raptors. Um, Detroit ten percent, Brooklyn twenty four percent, Orlando twenty three percent. Hornets 19%, Miami 18%, Washington 5%. So still a really broad range of outcomes as to who could end up in the eight seed. But uh, Brooklyn, then Orlando, then Charlotte, then Miami, then Detroit are are the, currently the uh, the best guesses. So um, yeah, I mean, again, like if the Bucks are, unless the Bucks are just complete frauds, it shouldn't matter. Um, but, uh, you know, I figure we at least want to mention that just in case. Some people out there were curious about our thoughts on the first round. Anyway, <laughs> returning get back, getting back to the other questions. Let's see. Uh, other rotation questions. Uh, John Dozel asked, uh, and that's at John Dozel on uh, Twitter. Mirtich has been poor on defense so far in his books tenure. How much of it is getting, is it him getting adjusted versus him not being a great fit in the scheme? And, um, you know, this is something I, I, I think we've kind of mentioned, but, you know, I think it's a disservice to Miritich to ever play him with Ursan. Like, I just mm-hmm. think that like those two shouldn't share the floor together, and they've had to share the floor together a lot. I, I just think there's there's too much. Uh, I can't remember all of the descriptors you used for uh, <laughs> both of them, but slow moving, white, Eastern European, like all of those things. Like, there's too much of that on the floor if you're going to try to put together a strong defense. Um, just because you know the, you have to be able to move at a certain level. So um, to me, I, I think it's him not being a great fit in the lineups that they currently have to play. I, I think he'll be fine in the scheme. I think he can be fine if he's playing with other good defenders, which is you know kind of the ideal way to use him. Um, so I, I don't. I'm not overly concerned about it. Um, Frank, thoughts on that before we move to anything else? Yeah, I mean the the scheme doesn't. Re- I don't think there's anything about the scheme that would be particularly problematic for a guy like um like Miritich. I mean, we've seen him show a couple of times that he can actually at times actually switch reasonably well, but you know, the Bucks in their base kind of approach don't really even do that very much. So, um, you know, like are you going to plant him at the, you know, um restricted area arc and tell him to just drop back and try to block shots? No, I mean that he's not Brook Lopez. Um, but you know, uh, I, he's, he's fine. I mean, you know, again, if teams are exploiting Nikola Miritich, um, defensively in the playoffs, um, you know, again, like there are worse guys that there are worse things that can happen than teams trying to, to find Miritich defensively. Cause I don't, you know, again, he's not, he's not that bad, <laughs> let's say. And I think he's, you know, a guy that you can, you can hide at times and he's competitive, you know, it's not like he's some, some pushover or something like that. So, um, 
so yeah, I think we'll see. Um, and and as you said, I think getting him away from Urson is is probably a big part of it because when there are two, those two are on the court, then you know you really have your choice of um, you know there's just there's nobody. I mean, you know. Ursan relative to Giannis uh, as a help defender and just a guy that can kind of clean up mistakes and, you know, Lopez as well. Um, obviously, there's just very little comparison between, you know, those guys and, and Ursan. So, yep. Um, moving on to Tanner Opica at Cowboy of Space. The Bucks seem to be much less effective on the defense end as of late. Is this due to changes in the rotation or is there something else there? Tanner, uh, this I'm going to use this as a chance to tell you to subscribe to The Athletic. I wrote something about that today over there. Uh, to answer your question shortly, I would say this is due to changes in the rotation, largely George Hill not being able to be a part of what they do defensively because, you know, whether he's the one of the two, I think he's he's been a part of some of their best defensive lineups, and he's just a very good defensive player and, you know, one of those veteran presence type guys. Um so that to me is, you know, a big part of it. And then um, I just don't, I, I think there were some tired legs during that West coast trip because of guys missing games and stuff like that. So uh, not a whole lot more there, but like I said, subscribe to the athletic. Uh, you can read the story about why their defense is struggling a little bit there. Um, J 27 D at juice 27 Diaz asked, do you think the Bucks should sit Middleton a couple games or continue to have him play through the shooting slump? I would say I that's, that's mentioned not a thing. that's not a thing in basketball. Like it's not baseball, right? Like in baseball, you play 160 games. Yeah, like if a guy's in a slump, you give him a day off. Like no, I mean you just it's it. not really that. Yeah, I mean it's not. He's he's too, too valuable to to uh, to. I mean if if that. I mean again, he was really bad. Obviously, shooting the other night. Like there's no excuse for for you know one for thirteen. Obviously, um, but you know we've seen the Bucks have lots of guys that do this, you know, Lopez has had shooting slumps. Um, other guys have had shooting slumps and, you know, again, I think you just deal with it and the Bucks shoot lots of threes. So it's, it's going to happen. Also, I would say this, I don't think it will help them at all with a shooting slump, but I do think there is something to be said for tired legs after the all-star break. Um, I, I talked about it three years ago after Giannis's first all-star break. He told me something about how, you know, he felt he was still tired and that the all-star break isn't really a break because especially in your first year, you're asked to do so many events and you're supposed, you're asked to do so much stuff as a player that, you know, like you don't actually get to take that time off. Um, so, uh, I mean, we've seen the bucks rest some guys already. I would not be shocked if Chris's day is coming up. Uh, where he gets rested for something that wouldn't wouldn't shock me at all, but I don't think it would really have anything to do, uh, you know, with a shooting slump or, or anything like that. Um, all right, Justin Cape asks, can we get any discussions using the chainsaw, watermelons, apples metaphors? No, I'm all out. I don't have anything more uh, there. Uh, trying a couple a couple more quick hitters here. Um, Frank, uh, your favorite. Muppet, Muppet Babies 31 at the Spangover. Asked, Muppet Babies! Ask uh, his wife and him are looking to travel to Texas. What's the best city to get a VRBO in for attraction, nightlife, and outdoorsy stuff? I can't answer that question. That is a Texas-based mm. question for you and you only. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not uh, obviously not a native Texan. I've only been here a few years. Uh, but I will say this. Uh, and This is maybe a little less interesting for uh, like a couples thing, but um, I've done uh, a couple times, uh, basically rented houses on Lake Travis, uh, which is you know like 
you can get there. It's like 40 minutes from Austin, uh, depending on traffic. So very, very close to Austin. You fly into Austin uh, airport. Uh, and it's close enough. You, if you get like a house on the lake or something like that, you can, you know, do a day in Austin. You can go out in Austin at night. It's, you know, like, it's not like you're so far away that you, you can't kind of also do Austin stuff. So I enjoy, I've enjoyed that. It's, um, uh, the lake is fun, you know, especially if you've got a house that that's on the lake, then even better. Um, so, or outdoorsy stuff, there's hiking, uh, it's hill country. There is actually, uh, there are actually hills out here, especially where I live on the Northwest side of town. Um, so, uh, that is my, that is my, uh, uh, little, little Austin recommendation. Uh, no disrespect to Houston or Dallas, but I would like, I would not, if I was living in another city or another state, I would not like go to texas to see dallas or houston let me say that houston has good food dallas is fine i'm in both places a ton um but you know like unless you've seen like every other unless you've seen austin and every other interesting city in america already i wouldn't say you need to go make a point you know make a point of going to to houston or dallas they're fine you know whatever um but uh but yeah i think austin is a is a is a great place to go and you can do outdoor stuff. Uh, you can do uh, cool stuff downtown. Um, good food. Probably not as good a food as, as Houston, but but good food. So that's my quick my quick rec. All right. Muppet Baby Slayer, you want to also ask me a couple questions. Best, worst part of being a beat reporter compared to a journalist for ESPN? Um, obviously, I've changed roles now to The Athletic from what I used to do with ESPN. And ironically, I think it's both the best and worst part of it is – I, my sole focus is the Milwaukee Bucks. That is all I'm concerned about. I don't worry about other things. Um, and, you know, the worst part is that, you know, I only focus on the Bucks and I don't uh, like I, I didn't realize I really missed it until I was at spring training uh, this past weekend. And I was like, oh, the Brewers are really good. And I didn't get to cover the Brewers in the playoffs because I had taken a new job. And, you know, if the Brewers have another great season, I won't get to cover that because, well, I have a different job. So um, that, ironically, I think is the best and worst part uh, of of, uh, of be- being a beat reporter compared to a journalist. And then he also asked, what's one unwritten rule about pre-post game interviews? Um, well, if it's unwritten, I shouldn't really answer Um, but I guess one thing to think about is, uh, you get one opportunity to question a decision or, uh, a play or whatever may be with a coach or player. And if you're unhappy with their first answer to it and go back again, uh, that player or coach is not responsible for how they react to you. Um, if, if you, if you ask about, um, for example, why did Ursan play and Bud answers the question and I don't like that answer and I go back for more. If he is an asshole to me after it, it is well within his rights because he already answered the question once. Uh, and me going back to it was pushing again on something that he believed he already had answered that did not occur i'm just using that as an example um of something unwritten you can go back the next day uh you can go back for a longer conversation at a different time but in a pre or post in a post game setting like you get you get your one chance to question it and if you don't get what you want out of it well whatever happens after that is is that person is i shouldn't say not responsible for obviously they can't like hit me or something um but they can 
treat me as as poorly as they would like after that. Uh, Nick Becker asks, Marcus Johnson and Cindy Moncrief's chances of making it into the Hall of Fame. Frank, I think it's pretty poor, um, but maybe I know sometimes by the end you can kind of get some contributor stuff. Like, I don't know if Marcus will broadcast long enough to maybe make that happen. Um, what do you think? The, the NBA Hall of Fame, I, I don't know. I think it's, uh, right, and it should be clear, the Basketball Hall of Fame, because it's not the NBA Hall of Fame. Um, yes. If he was a um, pretty decent Big East college coach who stuck around for 25 years he'd be a lock to make the hall of fame um being a five-time all-star four-time all-nba player um whose career was cut short by injuries but still had you know i'd say a very um impressive uh you know a successful nba career uh unfortunately that's not enough <laughs> apparently um so my yeah, yeah. i mean I, I don't know i mean i it's always i've always found it a little weird that they seemingly you know, Sydney and Marcus like never really even get talked about for for this stuff. I, I was obviously happy to see them mm-hmm. voted as finalists, um, but but I don't know. I mean, you know, we're talking about guys who finished their careers in the late '80s. Uh, Marcus, nineteen ninety, technically was his last season. Actually, early '89 was his last season. Um, so it's like you know, I mean, that's like thirty years ago. So if it hasn't happened um, up to this point. I just guess it won't happen. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wish there was a different answer. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, uh, I'm not a, uh, student of the, you know, the, the hall of fame and, you know, why some guys make it and some guys don't. Um, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, I mean, it's, it's obviously been, um, a long time I'd say coming for them to make it. Um, interesting data point. So, um, basketball reference has what they, they do a hall of fame probability calculation, which is based basically just statistically and looking at a player's career, like, you know, and doing like a comparable type thing and trying to figure out like, okay, based on that, like, you know, what are the odds that a player who looks like this, um, would actually make, uh, the, the hall of fame. And for, for Ron, Marcus, 25.2, um, you know, there's a chance. um, I think certainly having his number retired, you know, you hope that kind of these things like, you know, him being more um, in the spotlight a little bit um, would, would help um, maybe draw some attention to how good he was as a player. But yeah, I guess it's probably tough. Um, Sydney, I would have guessed would have a higher probability. Um, similar. I mean, remarkably similar in the sense that they were both five-time all-stars, five-time all-NBA Um Sid had a longer career, um, but and and you know, he had the two Defensive Player of the Year awards. Um, actually, scored fewer points in his career than than Marcus. You know, more of a I'd say an all around player, uh, defensive for focused player. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, he his Hall of Fame probability is actually forty nine point nine percent. So his is you know reasonably high, fifty fifty basically. So I, I don't know. So I would guess you know unfortunately probably neither is going to make it, um, but. You never know. Obviously, it's nice to, to have them at least be honored by, you know, being finalists. And um, hopefully people take note of what they're able to accomplish. And, um, you know, those guys deserve it. All right. Um, I think that is all the quick hitters before offseason stuff. And, you know, we had a bunch of people ask, you know, something that I think is pretty similar to everything that uh, everything that you would sort of expect. Um, 
Oh, just wait. Let me get this one out of the way. This is an off-season question. Scary Horowitz. Uh, Des Moines is weird. If Tyler Hero is available, should the Bucks draft him? Uh, for those uninitiated to the podcast, uh, this is, gives us a great opportunity. Um, we do not pretend to know anything about the draft. We will not pretend to know anything about the draft. And we will have people that know stuff about the draft do that for us. Whether that's Sam Vicini, Z- uh, Sam Vicini, or that is uh, our good friend Cole Swicker, whoever it may be, uh, we will have them come on and tell us about the draft. So uh, we are not the people for you for any draft information. Um, Tyler Hero is having a good year, I believe, but I I don't really know all that much about him, so I will not pretend. I, I don't. Yeah, the only thing I know is that um, I believe. Uh, the former draft express guys, I think they have him like, I want to say that I saw him like 20, number 27 in the top 100 yep. at ESPN or something like that. So, I mean, it's a reasonable question because he's ranked sort of in the range where the bucks are, are going to be picking. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I've seen some random stuff about him and, you know, he's having a very good freshman year and I guess that only makes it, um, more disappointing for Wisconsin fans that he, he, I mean, he committed there and then he committed and never got, got ticked off in wisconsin about it am i am i remembering this correctly yes you you have it okay. right and no one really thought he could survive at kentucky and now yeah he's right now he now he is yeah um so uh who knows um but but whatever by the way one other note on um uh on the pro hall of fame stuff if you go to um basketball reference and you pick any player's page or whatever and you, you find that hall of fame probability stat um, it's interesting because if you go to look then at the, you can click on it and then you can actually see the list of like players ranked by Hall of Fame probability and you can see who actually made the Hall of Fame. And it's really interesting because, you know, when we're trying to think, okay, like 49.9%, like, does that mean you're going to make the Hall of Fame or what What does that even mean? Um, and it's interesting because you go up to right around 50%, it's actually like pretty much all guys who've made the hall of fame plus, plus some um, active plus some active players. So um, guys like Yao Ming, Dennis Johnson are kind of like that at the tail end, they're like right around that 50, 50 mark. So as far as, you know, Sidney Moncrief, those guys made the hall of fame. So the, the guys above Sydney in the hall of fame probability who are retired, Dennis Johnson, Yao Ming, Mo Cheeks, Jim Pollard, Wes Unsell, Cliff Hagen, Bobby Wanzer, Walt Bellamy, all these guys are Hall of Famers. <laughs> um, so, uh, I mean, it's pretty remarkable. Like the highest rated guy that I've seen here that's not um, John C. Belts and Sean Marion, and I think that may, they might not even be Hall of Fame eligible yet. So, um, so but looking at that, it's it's probably not unreasonable. And if you keep going down the list, actually, there's you know a number of players um, both above and and below Marcus at 25% who um, have also made the Hall of Fame. So possible you know certainly possible but um you know fingers crossed all right um so for off-season stuff uh, there's i mean just kind of like the overall question um can you lay out the off-season how does the off-season work uh can the bucks fit all of these guys underneath the cap and that includes Miritich in that as well uh so you know it's Miritich, lopez brogdon middleton um and then some version of you know who would be most likely not to get to 
stick around or who would be most likely to sign elsewhere or, uh, you know, who might be most important to make sure you bring back. Um, so all of that. So, uh, the people that asked that question, uh, Kurt Leidinger at Kurt Leidinger on Twitter, uh, shout out to Kurt for coming by the press area before the game in Phoenix and saying, hello, uh, it was good to see him. It was also good to see, uh, Buck's Twitter, uh, I guess Buck's, uh, Buck's Twitter, Tweep, Bucks Tweep. Um, I'm not 100% sure how you even use that phrase. Uh, at David Dunn, at Elijah Price, whatever. Uh, at, you know, the, the guy that makes all the Tetonia World videos. Uh, got to meet him as well. Uh, he said, what's up? So shout out to uh, the surprisingly strong Phoenix base of, uh, of the Bucks Twitter. So shout out to you guys for coming through. But Kurt asked the question, who do you guys predict we are most likely to lose via free agency and why? Uh, Marshall Williams at Darshmello. Uh, from, uh, 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 let's see, a uh, longtime listener, first-time question asker from Australia. Shout out to all the Australian homies that uh, listen and uh, always are good Bucks fans. He also asked about you know the likelihood of Middleton, Brogdon, Brooke, and Mirtich coming back. Uh, let's see. Uh, Sam Valentini at TFence92. Could you give a quick realistic rundown of how you think the offseason would go? Blake at Blake Allen underscore. More important to bring back this offseason, Brogdon, Mirtich, and Lopez. Um, I think that's all the people that asked that question or some variation of that question. So um, I guess let's try to put it all together, Frank. And uh, I'll start by asking you, would it be possible to bring back the four man pairing now with Bledsoe signed of Middleton, Brogdon, uh, Miritich and Lopez? Uh, I think the, the best answer is yes, but we'll likely need, some some fat trimmed from the roster uh from the cap number right and and ursan and tony snell are the guys that we typically point to as the obvious guys making more money than their role would uh you know suggest they should uh and obviously ursan you know a guy that um and hopefully bud has his earmuffs on when i say this but you know hopefully ursan would be displaced in the rotation anyway next year by dj wilson um so I, i think you know again there's Certainly, if you can shed both of those salaries and you have a lot of flexibility to even pay those guys more than maybe you might otherwise like. Um, and obviously, a lot of it especially comes down to um, keeping it somewhat close to the luxury tax limit. Just because, uh, again, with Brooke, um, you know, you either have to create cap space or you have to use the, the mid-level exception on him. And if you don't have the full mid-level, you know, the non-taxpayer mid-level, then um, you're going to be much more limited, right? Like is Brooke Lopez willing to come back for under $6 million a year versus, you know, over $9 million a year, which is the the full uh, mid, you know, uh, non-taxpayer mid-level. Um, you know, again, how much do you want him to have to potentially take a discount to stay? Uh, you know, ideally you, you would be able to offer him, you know, the full mid-level. So, um, so there's a way to do that. Um, but again, it most likely involves having to move, get off some salary. And then there's different ways to do it. Right. I mean, I mean, if, if Ursan can, can play and as an expiring contract this summer, you know, maybe there's some team out there that likes what they see in him and says, okay, let's, you know, we'd be willing to eat that guy for $7 million uh, next year, you know, take that salary, not, not eat him literally, but his, uh, take his salary. Um, maybe there's a way to do that. You know, I don't know, maybe three and D wings start, you know, getting paid 
astronomically again. And Tony's, you know, two years, 11, 12 million bucks a year. Maybe that starts to look more palatable for a team that wants a three and D wing. You know, maybe, maybe there's a team out there that wouldn't need, you know, your first round pick to take them. I don't know. Right. Um, the, the harder thing to do is always like to trade them just into space and just get rid of the entire cap number. Um, but on the flip side, like you don't necessarily need to get rid of all of their, their salary. You could potentially take some back and, and still get some benefits. So, um, so it's, it's complicated. Um, we'll talk a lot more about it kind of in the, in the upcoming days, uh, in weeks and months. Um, I, I would say I would be somewhat surprised if they kept all of them. Um, I think if you were going to lose somebody, um, I think Miritich is probably the guy that I think is most likely to that you'd lose just because I think we talked about this recently, but he plays the same position as Giannis. So by definition, you know, he's, <laughs> he does, his skill set is less, is less yeah. valuable because, you know, you, you kind of have to work him, fit him in around that. Um, and then the bigger one is just, I mean, this was the best team in the league before you acquired Nikola Miritich, right? Um, so we know that they can win without Miritich. Um, you know, I I think between those other guys, I would probably say, you know, I think the the question about, about like um, Brogdon, Miritich, and Lopez, I would probably say, I would probably say Lopez is probably the guy, like if you had to play a game tomorrow, I think you would lose the most if he wasn't available. Um, then Brogdon, then Miritich. Um, but it's kind of interesting. We've talked about it. Like Giannis lineups have still been awesome without Brooke. Uh, they've been able to be successful without Brooke on the court. He obviously has some trade-offs just because his mobility obviously isn't the same as, you know, uh, a more mobile guy. I mean, even Ursan is more mobile than, than Brooke. Um, so it's an interesting question, but I mean, it's also weird because like he's been healthy all season. So like we really have also haven't seen the Bucks have to figure out what it's like to play without him. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a really interesting kind of question. Um, you can see, you know, he, he's not a guy that plays, tons and tons of minutes but they've had him back there for every game he started every game so um we really don't know what the bucks look like without him and we've at least gotten brief glimpses of what they look like without all the other guys so it's kind of an interesting hypothetical of you know how much that changes and obviously brooke is the you know personnel wise he's the big change between last year and this year obviously the system and bud are you know the other big variables but um but i don't know yeah that's that's maybe how i would think about it um i think I'm trying to think who is the most likely to leave. Maybe, maybe Miritich is also the most likely to leave just because I think maybe he might be the lowest priority, but um, you know, the stuff that he was saying about to Pau Gasol about, you know, raving about everything about playing here and, you know, it being like a dream come true or whatever, whatever his, his uh, stuff was winning the lottery, winning the lottery. Um, that suggests that, you know, you're not going to have to pay him over and above market necessarily to, to keep him either. So, um, again, like winning begets a lot of very positive things. It has a lot of positive externalities. Uh, and one of them is on, you know, your ability to keep guys. And that's probably going to be very important with, um, with Brooke and, and Miritich, because again, they're probably not going to be the guys that, uh, obviously, you know, get the, the really big money. They're not going to be the high priorities. Um, so I don't know. The only other prediction I would have is I would be surprised if Chris Middleton doesn't like there isn't a deal on like day one of free agency with Chris. I feel like he's, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think I'm saying anything, any, any offering any revelation that Chris would, will be 
the number one priority for them to bring back. Um, you know, I'm, I'm no Giannis is expecting Chris to be the number one priority to be brought back. Uh, so I think that deal uh, is likely to, to get done. And, and again, there's probably less to negotiate there as well. Cause it's not like, and as much as people don't hear this, like, I don't think it's a question of like, Chris get 18 million or 30 million. Like I think the bucks realize they're gonna have to pay him a lot of money. Um, and so just the general band of what they'll have to negotiate is probably a bit more, you know, a bit narrower. Um, which is, you know, I think you talked about the other day, why the Bledsoe deal was maybe surprising because he was kind of, there was probably a broader band for a guy like that, um, or, or more potential outcomes that you could see. So, um, so my, I think my official predictions will be, uh, Middleton signs on day one. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Brogdon's maybe gets dragged out a little bit. Um, because the Bucks try to not just pay him a ton because they know he's restricted. You know, that's not not surprising to see a restricted guy not sign right away. Um, and then I'll say... Except for the Bucks, because the last, I don't know how many years, they've managed to sign a restricted guy very early. Like Tony Snell was a 1201 deal as a restricted. Miles Plumley was, was no, he a No, no, no. He was like, he was later. It was he was summer league. Was it that late? I feel okay. You, you're, you, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I which also made it that much crazier. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. that 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 was like yeah. that was largely that was that was what made that signing even more insane. That they basically like you know had their roster filled out and then decided <laughs> like they also needed to give it Miles Plumley like, like oh all of the money. Yeah. I think I just blacked I remember, that out from my memory. It was just like, no, this this never happened. I so true story. Um. I, I was at Summer League that year, uh, and I saw John Hammond, and I was talking to him briefly. And Miles Plumlee, I think he was like the only kind of, you know, domino that had yet to fall for the Bucks offseason or whatever. And, I mean, you know, my in my mind, it was like, well, I think I actually said to him, I was like, well, you know, what's going on with Miles? Like, you know, I mean on some level, like, I mean, you're probably fine just having him sign the, the qualifying offer, right? I mean, you know, just a couple million bucks and just bring him back. And he just, <laughs> he kind of like gave a look. And I, I think he actually started, I think he may have, he said they were, I think he said something, I think he, he said something that they were close and I forget exactly what he said, but he implied, he somehow implied a number in like the teens. And I just remember being like really surprised, you know? And I was just like, Mm-hmm. okay you know um and whatever i'm like you know not gonna tell the gm of the bucks when he gives me that information that like that seems dumb but um it was <laughs> the fact that i was the fact that i mentioned the qualifying <laughs> offer as a potential attractive potentially attractive option uh clearly sort of telegraphed my my my, my views on that but anyway um Played your hand a little early there, Frank. Yeah, exactly. All right, what do you what do you think? What what's your any predictions you have for for the Bucks summer? So I I would agree with you. I think Middleton gets done relatively easily and pretty simply. Um, you know, I've mentioned in the past um, Bobby Marks, Zach Lowe talking about Indiana sniffing around. Um, I think Utah probably sniffs around and is curious about Chris Middleton. Um, I would guess. I know we've talked about this, you know, if you let it drag on too long, maybe the Lakers strike out in other places and um, all of a sudden LeBron's like, oh, a guy that worked next to Giannis? Oh, that that might work next to me. 
maybe maybe that's someone uh, to go after. So you know, I think the market is is pretty well set, and uh, you know, it's it's more about like. Obviously, Chris is quite good, but it's also there's some positional scarcity there. Uh, the importance of wings in the NBA, like all of those things. Um, I would agree with you. I, I mean, I, I think it's pretty much a question of whether or not it's the full max or you're actually able to convince him to take less than the max, which, um, you know, as you've laid out before, it can be really big because you, then you're not paying a percentage of the cap. You're just paying a, a set number. And, you know, even if that is... Uh, escalating as the years go on, it's still going to be less than uh, what the max would be. So, um, yeah, I think it gets done pretty quickly. I think they'll have a pretty good idea of what they need to do to get it done, and they'll be in a spot where they where they will get it done. Then, I I don't want to say I think Brogdon is the most likely to, to not be with the Bucks next year because I, I would agree with you that I think it's Mirtich just because he, in some ways, seems like a luxury and. You know, you have the positional overlap with Giannis, and who knows how that might work. So, um, I would, I would say that Miritich is the least, but I would say I'm, I'm really curious what happens with Malcolm Brogdon, and you know what that number ends up looking like in the end, um, because uh, I do think there's, I mean, there's a, at least the possibility that as teams don't find what they're looking for or, um, you know, strike out with other guys that all of a sudden you keep coming back to the 50, 40, 90 guy uh, that played on one of the best teams in the league. Like, I just, I just think that could happen. And, you know, I think it, it could be a situation where, okay, you know, maybe it's not the, he won't be the fifth guy for us. He'll be, you know, a little bit higher up in the pecking order and maybe those efficiency numbers go down a little bit. And, but you know, maybe there's some teams out there that are just like, okay, this could be a, this could be our third guy. Like if we have two other guys that were signed in a little bit more, like maybe this could be our third guy. And uh, you know, like we've seen third guys get overpaid different places. Like uh, when you look at like Otto Porter is a guy that probably got overpaid a little bit as a third option, uh, but it fit and you know, like the wizards, thought that was was the deal that they wanted to make so um that that his market's gonna be really interesting to me i i sparky asked this the other day on uh the big show on uh 1250 105.7 fm fan and i i was kind of at a loss because i, I think it's double digits like i i think if if it wasn't double digits the bucks might have got an early extension done uh with him which would have been like the was that like the Norm Powell extension was like four for 50 or whatever it was. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think a little more than that this year. Yeah. Something like um, that. But you know, I think maybe they get it done if, if that was what it was. So, I mean, I think that already puts it up, you know, past 12, 13. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know how high that number can go. I don't think it can go all the way to 20. Um, I think that would be too far. Uh but you know, is there a is there like a Bledsoe deal out there where it's you know seventeen or eighteen? Uh, maybe, maybe someone would go that high, and uh, you know, I don't know how high the Bucks number goes. Yeah, I and it's also dependent, right? I mean, like if if you find out on on you know July one that 
Miritich is leaving and, um, you know, Lopez is getting $15 million a year from somebody, um, then, I mean, look, obviously Brogdon doesn't play their positions, but, uh, man, you want to be really careful that you don't like lose Brogdon and then you're probably willing to pay Brogdon more. Right. Um, so, and, and he's also unique as well, because if some of these other guys basically go away, um, then, you know, Brogdon has such a small cap hold that, uh, you know, you might have some flexibility to get somebody in free agency, but, you know, again, probably not, not a lot. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think it all kind of depends. Um, I think if you knew that you were getting everybody else back, um, then on the one hand you could argue, well, I mean, like in that scenario, you're not going to have flexibility to go replace Brogdon. So you should pay him anyway. Flip, flip side is, yeah. you know, you, you need him less in that scenario. So maybe you don't need to break the bank. But again, this is just sort of this, this thing we come back to. I mean, you have a 60 win team that can compete for a championship. Um, Why are you getting cute? Kind of, yeah. Like what, what's the alternative? And, um, you know, again, I mean, 17, 18 million bucks, man, that is a lot of money for Malcolm Brogdon. Um, but credit to Brogdon. I mean, he's been, he's been really, really good this year. Um, you know, the, some of the stuff early in the year where, you know, the Bucks always seem to be better without him. Like the starters were better without him. That's really reversed. I mean, he's, he's right there. I think with the honest um, overall now in the season in terms of uh, net rating um, they've, they've really been good with him on the court now for, for quite some time. And um, you know, that 50, 40, 90 stuff. I mean, I think it speaks to how consistent he's been throughout the season, you know? Yep. Uh, and even with, um, you know, hearing that he's got maybe nursing a little bit of plantar fasciitis as well. He's continued to play at a really, really high level, make huge shots and, um, just be a guy that, you know, nobody really thinks about as like, you know, an all-star or, you know, the, the second star, or the third star, but Malcolm Brogdon's your fourth or fifth guy. <laughs> that that's really good. Yes. You know, like, I think Brock, you know, the, the, the contributions of Brogdon and Lopez and, you know, being able to add Miritich. I mean, I think that allows you to really go kind of like roster spot for roster spot with even the Celtics, you know, who always get praised for how, how deep and talented they are. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't have a good answer on Brogdon. Um, but like you alluded to, I mean, I don't think you're going to get him for 12 million bucks a year. Cause I think he's not going to be, Let's just say this. I think there may be some frayed nerves if he gets 12 a year because he clearly has probably turned that down already with you know the yep. extension that he was eligible for. Um, but is there a number a little bit higher than that? You know that that might be the question. Or I don't know. Would he want to take a shorter deal or something like that? I don't know. You know, I'm not really sure. Um, given his kind of foot question too, like mm-hmm. you know, he obviously has not had like a major foot injury. Hopefully, I, I hope the plantar fasciitis doesn't have anything to do with that. I, don't know enough about you know foot medicine to, to offer an, an informed opinion on that um but uh you know i mean he might also be a guy that you know he has he's made very little money in his nba career so far so you know locking down 50 60 million bucks uh that's probably going to be a, a big priority for him so um so again, I think he's going to be interesting to watch. The the other kind of piece, so the, the only I think other kind of variable here is, um, and I think we've we've alluded to it, but um, you know if they do, for instance, 
um, operate above the cap. So they have the full tax, uh, non-tax mid-level uh, and they offer that, you know, something above the taxpayer mid-level to uh, Brooke, then potentially you could be in an, in an interesting scenario where um, if Brogdon doesn't sign right away or agree to a deal right away, I should say, because, um, you know, his cap hold is so low that he's kind of an obvious guy to not officially sign right away, depending on what you might want to do. But um, if he's a restricted free agent and you sort of line up everybody else to come back and you give Brooke more than the non-tax, more than the taxpayer mid-level, so basically you're committing to hard capping yourself at roughly 138 million in total salary. Um, you could put yourself in kind of an awkward spot here because then, you know, teams can do the math, you know, and again, you probably at that point would have had to move somebody, but teams can do the yeah. math and say, well, you know, you can only spend on him basically the, the tax apron amount of 138 minus whatever your other commitments are. And so, um, you know, if you, if you actually signed everybody, then like literally you could be in a position where you can't even match an offer sheet if it goes above that amount. Um, I think more reasonably, you know, you wouldn't actually sign all those other contracts. So you could still technically match on Brogdon, but then you'd be in a position where you literally like, you know, can't then sign all your other contracts unless you make other moves. So, um, so that's like where the, you know, we always talk about like Brooks situation and the, because he probably has to get the mid-level makes everything else kind of more complicated. And that's sort of where, you know, I mean, again, we could go, we could kind of peel that onion back like a bunch more layers, but I'll, I'll let's leave it at that at this point. Okay. We've already gone over an hour, but I want to do one last question. And it comes from an e- emailer uh, at lockdownbucks at gmail.com. And it comes from Andrew Zimmerman who asks, and I'll read the whole thing. My question is, will Chris ever get the number two star treatment from the media? My issue with the media reporting is that when Chris plays bad, everyone says, see, or when, I, when Chris plays well, everyone says, see, that's why he will get paid a max salary. But when he plays bad, the media dumps him in the Bledsoe, Brogdon, Lopez category. Like he's way below Giannis on the totem pole. Instead of pointing to a bad performance, you basically say that no matter the performance, he's getting paid. Let's actually talk about his performances instead of preemptively defending his contract. So when Chris goes one of 13 against the Suns, this isn't the number one talking point. If Giannis went one of 13, that would be the only talking point. Next year, Chris will be paid more than Giannis and will likely have two times the salary of Bledsoe, Brogdon, and Lopez. Will the media then treat him as the actual number two through the good and the bad, or will there still be all of these protections on him? And, I mean, I guess as I first read the question, I was surprised. uh, Will Chris ever get the number two star treatment from the media? because I thought I was about to read an email about how he doesn't get the respect that he deserves. Um, so to see it veer in the opposite direction was a bit of a surprise for me. So I guess first off, I would say, I, I mean, I think, you know, if he's going to get treated that harshly as a number two, then, you know, maybe he should first get the respect that a number two deserves. Like, you know, I think those two things go hand in hand. And then, I, I mean, I, I guess the other thing I'll ask, and I mean, I have a number of questions about this idea, and uh, what does a number two star get treated like? like it, are, are there people out there that crush number twos around the league? Like, is that a thing that gets done? I, I mean, I think maybe when like Durant or Westbrook was was a number two, maybe that was a thing that happened. Um Paul George, like I'm not really sure 
what that what that idea means. And then, you know, I, I think the the other thing is, um, you know, on this podcast, who do we crush? Like, Giannis is Ersan. Ersan? No, no, I, I think we should go down this road. Like, we crush Ersan. I, I think we've crushed Dally in the past. Like, I we think... used to crush DJ. Now DJ has, has 180 on us. Yeah. Now DJ, is the, the free DJ mo- movement has, we... has, uh, has taken hold. We've crushed DJ. Uh, we've crushed Johnny O'Brien. I think like we like the guys that we tend to crush are role players that are getting overplayed by their coach, yeah. right? Like that's that's the group that we crush on this podcast. Like I'm trying to think of like Giannis has had bad games before. During those bad games, do do we ever crush him? Like I don't I don't think that's a thing that we do, and, and, and maybe. That means we're we're bad as a podcast at doing that, but you know, like I, I think the nights where Giannis doesn't play well, and you know, they're few and far between. But on those nights, it's like, well, you know, he had an off shooting night, or you know, he he missed some free throws, or uh, you know, he had some foul trouble, like whatever it may be. Like I don't, I don't even think we crush Giannis. So you would like us to treat Chris more harshly than we treat even Giannis? Like I I don't know. Like I, I just think the idea of crushing someone, quote unquote, um, to me it's just not something that that we one that we do, two that's particularly useful, and three, as far as crushing people go, I think we've probably gone further on middle than than just about anyone else. Like and I don't know anyone like after that game I said he was both horrible and terrible after. Like, how much would you like me to spend more time on it? Like, I go, I don't, I don't understand what, what that idea means generally. Well, it's interesting because, um, I mean, like that. I think the the comment of like preemptively defending him, like, I only preemptively defend Chris's contract because people are preemptively like, you know, holding him, like judging him for what he may get paid this summer. You know, like. I don't know, like people seem, seem, and, and I understand it, right? Because like Bucks fan, I mean, as, as fans, like we're not used to the Bucks actually like being really good and wanting to keep a team together. And so there's a long history of the Bucks being mediocre and then paying their like, you know, guys who really aren't guys who are like underqualified for whatever role they have on the team. Right. Like Michael Red is a number one, Mo Williams is a number two, you know, like you can kind of go through obviously a long history of guys that have gotten paid as though they were more important than they probably were, or um, may- maybe even not so much that, but just, you know, they were on teams where they were too far up the pecking order. Right. Um, and I know like we, we talked about that too. I mean, like if Michael Red had gone and gotten his max contract from the Cavs while LeBron was there, how much would people have like, you know, Hemden Hod over Michael Red's contract in Cleveland, right? Because he would have been properly cast as like a second option offensively rather than, you know, having to carry pretty meh teams in Milwaukee, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it is interesting. I mean, I think at this point, I mean, you know, Middleton, I think has, has you know, nationally, I think now has, I think he's pretty well, I think, I think especially like, you know, the, the media at this point, I mean, especially the NBA, you know, kind of, the you know the blogosphere, the uh, NBA Twitterati, you know the 
uh, blog nascenti, whatever we're going to call sort of the the <laughs> intelligent NBA fans out there. I mean, every, nobody, nobody's unaware of Chris Middleton at this point, right? Um, yeah. I don't think that's that's an issue in the broader sense. I think he's well respected. I mean, he made the All Star team this year. You know, I'm I'm not worried about Chris Middleton like not getting like respect or something like that. Um, and I think you know, again, like it's an interesting situation because. Um, you know, I mean, Giannis or Chris making more than Giannis next year, like is a meaningless kind of stat to me. I know I think some, some people have mentioned that um, it's just a relic of Giannis signing his extension before he was an all-star and basically, you know, the Bucks ending up with a discount because of that. And the caps obviously continue to go up and Chris is going to be an unrestricted free agent. So he, Chris is the exact type of player where, you know, you, you Eric, you enjoy my, my, uh, toothpaste metaphors, um, <laughs> you know, and, and again, the NBA and its salary structure is, is similar. The guys who are underpaid are young players on rookie contracts and the Giannis Dedekumbo is the world who should be paid $60 million a year, $70 million, you know, like, like literally there's almost no price tag you can put on them, but they're, you know, bound by these max salaries. So you know, effectively you're squeezing from both ends of, of, you know, the toothpaste or whatever and everything, all the money tends to go to um, not just the middle tier, but, but like veterans who become unrestricted free agents who are in their late twenties, who are, you know, good, but not like superstars who basically like, it's a no brainer to give a max contract. Right. So Chris is like, just by demographically where he fits in the league is squarely in the range of guys who are going to get paid more than their relative worth compared to, again, young players, players who were restricted free agents and signed extensions, players who are the very uber elite, right? Like that's just kind of the way, the way this works. And so, um, you know, it kind of is what it, it kind of is what it is to some extent. And again, like to me, like, Fundamentally, it just comes down to, you know, in a world where the Bucks are awesome and, you know, you have a chance to run it back and, you know, Giannis, if, if anybody, if anybody out there, you know, thinks that the Bucks uh, would be wise and would impress him if they decide to not give Chris Middleton a lot of money this summer and let him walk instead, you know, I don't know if you just don't listen to our podcast enough or you just have a different worldview, but I just (laughs) like that. That's really important. And again, like you don't want to let the superstar kind of dictate your roster moves. Um, But Chris is not Thon maker, right? Like Chris is not just some random guy that, you know, Giannis became friends with on the team, but isn't really very important. Right. Chris is damn important. Right. And we can, we can debate. I think it's justifiable to debate about, you know, whether Bledsoe in particular has been more valuable than Middleton for stretches or even a full season. Um, But, you know, again, from a market value standpoint, Chris being a six, eight guy who can score, defend and play make those guys get paid, especially when they're, you know, 27 year old uh, understood free agents. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a weird spot because, um, no player, certainly in, in our timelines, no, in our mentions, no player has been, I'd say, scrutinized so much, especially for a contract that they don't even have yet um, as Middleton, which is largely why I, why like it probably seems like we push back on that so much, just because like you know we just always are asked about it, 
and people are always telling us that like, oh, I wouldn't pay Middleton more than twenty five million. It's like, what is that even based? I mean, honestly, like, I don't even know what that's based. Like, what is that based on, right? Like, because then you'd use the money that you know the small amount of cap space you'd have to sign what, right? And I think this is just what we always come back to. Like, there just aren't good options if you don't sign Chris Middleton, right? And I don't think it's because we believe Chris Middleton is a you know, worth $35 million a year. Um, it's just because this is sort of the reality of sort of how these markets work. And, you know, again, if the Bucks can get him for less, great, right? Um, but again, like with Brogdon, he's a restricted free agent. With Lopez, you know, he's still a 30-year-old center. I think I wouldn't be shocked if someone gives him more money, but you have limited ability to offer more anyway. Um, and so Chris is kind of in a different boat because he's going to have a lot of suitors, He's unrestricted and he fits everywhere. He's a very malleable player type. And those guys tend to get paid, especially, you know, given kind of his general profile. So, um, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it seems like from my perspective, like people go after Middleton more than any other player. I think at this point, other than Urson, it's like Urson and Middleton. If my Twitter timeline and, and mentions are to be believed, like those are the two guys that, you know, people criticize the most. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. We were talking about it earlier, but you know, um, I don't know. I don't feel like people, uh, I don't know, like, are, do people bend over backwards to, to compliment Chris when he plays well? I mean, I had people complaining about how he was use, quote unquote, useless after he put up, like, what was it, 29, 9, and 6 <laughs> against the Jazz. Yeah. And I know he didn't shoot well in that game, but, you know, he scored reasonably efficiently in spite of that. And he was, you know, face guarded by Royce O'Neal, who's a very good defender. And Chris was being asked to, like, initiate the offense when Giannis wasn't on the court. You know, I mean, that was a tough game. And he, I mean, in general, I mean, he missed some shots, but you know, I mean, every night he's, I, I, I was looking at the stats. I think he's had three plus assists in every game since January 1st or something like that. Or maybe he's even further back than that. I mean, it's kind of remarkable. Like every night he kind of makes plays and, you know, um, especially for Giannis. I don't, I don't know of anybody who gives Giannis as many good passes as Chris. That's um, partly why Giannis is going to want him back. Um, so, so I don't know. I mean, it's it's just sort of um, kind of one of those complicated things. And um, you know, I, I think I think I understand why people are are wary of you know overpaying a guy because the Bucks have a long history of overpaying like like good to not elite players. Um, but again, like you're not asking Chris to be the number one on a 38 win team or even the number two on a 44 win team. You're asking him to be like number two ish, but also have lots of help on a team that, um, you know, can compete for championships, you know, knock on wood that, that all that continues. So um, I don't know. I, I just, I, again, like I, I don't understand fully the kind of like, principled rage sort of that a lot of people <laughs> seem to feel about Chris Middleton yeah. getting a lot of money. Um, because the other thing is he's gotten underpaid the last few years. So uh, that that's the part I was going to bring up is that like, this isn't the first year people have complained about Chris's future contract. Like, they did it last year, like two years before he's become free agent. People were like complaining about a contract that wasn't going to be in effect for three years. Like, everyone this summer is, you know, trying to figure out like, okay, you know, how do you not pay Chris Middleton and, and instead find a six, eight wing that shoots threes, plays defense, initiates for, you know, 14, 15 million. And it's like, 
you've had that dude for the last let's see well the last six years but that version of chris middleton for the last three years and it hasn't been like man what a steal the bucks have in chris middleton like this is man it makes their roster building so much easier like you know the fact that you haven't had to pay this guy market value means that you know you can go out and get miritich and you can go out and get all you, you can take on george hill's contract and you can do all these things and you know because you have this versatile guy that does all those things that the team needs you know as a team the bucks have been able to go out and get all these guys like that hasn't been that hasn't been what people say. Instead, it's been like, oh, they're going to overpay that guy, or he's not good enough, or whatever it is. And it's just like, okay, well, you know, if if that's the case, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know how he's treated with like kit gloves or something. Like, it, that's just that it hasn't been that hasn't been the case. Um, so you know, like I, I just think it it is really interesting and. You know, like I, I do also wonder. It's just like we've talked many times about who his, who his comparables are in the league, or like you know, like kind of where he might be in comparison to like other people in the league. And it's like, you know, did did Tobias Harris get killed? Like, does he get killed? Is that like on the nights where he doesn't score a bunch? Do people crush him? And it's like, I don't think so. And do I think they should do that? No, I think it'd be incredibly stupid to do that. Like it doesn't make any sense. So like, so the 30 or 40th best player didn't perform like a number one that night. So you should act as though this, you should act the same way as if it was one of the five best players in the league, Giannis having a bad night. Like, wait, what? Like, uh, how does this work? I, I don't necessarily understand the scales and when they move up or when they move down or uh, who is on that scale and how they should be treated. Like it just all that, that general idea just doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. Um, so yeah, that's, that's all very confusing. I don't know if we really went anywhere in those 15 minutes and I'm sure by the end of it, uh, everyone will say that we are, uh, Middleton apologists or something of, of that nature and talk about how we are too nice to Chris Middleton, but that's, that's okay. I, I think that'd be, uh, be somewhat on brand for us, right. Or at least for the, the critics that we have in our mentions that have said that for, four years now is that how long we're going on being chris middleton apologist frank well you you saw uh at david dunn 21 or whatever slash uh, elijah price uh in phoenix who's you know the the captain of the chris middleton is overrated club so you you probably are especially feeling that uh that (laughs) that effect did you guys talk about that at all was there no we didn't have enough time it was really quick yeah, I I um I was gonna say I, I felt like it was kind of fitting that um um it kind of kind of feels feels fitting that that he got to see Chris you know stink it up with his shot uh as uh, as he did. I felt bad for Kurt because uh, uh, I think Kurt was telling me that that there was some so, like a son's heckler who were a troll who was like giving him giving him giving him shit um during the game. So it was uh, especially probably annoying. Oh God. I must have been so. If I went to see that game, I would have been just livid um, to see them lose that game in Phoenix. Especially if that's like your only game you see all year. That's just got to be like, oh, so crappy. Um, but 
anyway whatever all right uh we went way long on it but not as long as we typically go like we kept it to an hour and a half so uh good on us for that we didn't take the full two hours but uh this should get you through until uh tomorrow night's game and we will record again after the bucks play the pacers so for frank madden i'm eric name this has been lockdown bucks we will talk to you guys tomorrow